Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go. Start of a new week. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. We had real live tackle American college football over the week. Over the weekend, I should say. And, well, it wasn't great. It wasn't great, but it was real football. It was good enough. It was good enough. You both Sports couldn't talk. be more wrong. It was fantastic. Every no, 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 no. I'm talking about the actual play. No, no. I will have no complaining. It was beautiful. It's the best I'm not complaining. I've seen all year. <laughs> it's a good point you make. Certainly for this academic year. No question. Yes. Yeah. I mean, opening play of the game, 75-yard house call. Not a bad way to start. I, I audibly yelped. You, Did you? You thought you thought the Saints had, had won the Super Bowl. I was just like, yes! I, I was so happy. It was unbelievable. Uh, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. We're streaming online at supertalk.fm. You can watch at supertalktv.com. We are glad to be with you. As always, the C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Say it again for you, 601 879 Four three nine five. We got a bunch to get to this afternoon, and almost all of it is like legit sports related. I think you never know what's going to come. You never know what's going to come, and there's nobody happier about that than Brian Hayden. You're right. Doesn't like the other stuff. Does not. Well, I mean, define the other stuff. You bring Malcolm Reed on the show, and I'm I'm happy as a clam. Oh, no, I'm talking about the stuff that is maybe a little more controversial and is a little more newsworthy, but not as much fun in terms of sports. Yeah. Borky, how was your weekend? Oh, weekend was really good. Uh, I reconfigured the home office, got some new furniture. Have you ever been, it's going to sound cheesy, but I think you guys might have felt the same way, emotionally attached to a piece of furniture? No. Not really. So my wife, my wife could relate. I'm not so much. I'm not very nostalgic. So my home office, I really like decluttered it. But I had this big recliner, like right in the middle, big green recliner, and it's older than me. It was my dad's. It was like the first thing he bought for himself, and it's still in really good shape. He really took care of his stuff, and he gave it to me when I moved to college. Okay, and I've had it. Obviously, until now, and after I'm guessing it's in less good condition than when it was handed down to you. It's actually still in pretty good shape. Not near as good as when it was handed to me, but it was in yeah. pretty good shape. And some hard living through those years. Oh yeah, you know it. And I determined <laughs> uh, that it was time for it to go. I just I opened up my office space to give room for my kid to play and stuff while I'm working and things like that. And I got rid of the recliner, put it at the end of the street. A couple hours later, somebody came by and picked it up. 
And I was sad about that. Because my entire life, I remember like hanging out with my dad, watching the game with my dad, as a young little Michael, sitting in that chair with him. And Did you happen to ask your dad if he wanted it back before you put it out on the street? He was surprised. Uh, so we FaceTimed the other day, and he saw it. And he's like, you still have that? Like, he was surprised, so he didn't really care about it. Okay. But I remember, like, after James was born, holding him and him sleeping on me while watching games in that recliner. And at, when I put it on the street, like, I started walking back up to the house, and, like, I, you know, felt something And when I decided to get rid of that chair. I feel like yeah. a softy, but man, it just all those things ran through my head as somebody came by and hauled off my recliner. Hey, Dad, do you have a recliner in your house? I do. I do. You do. Yeah. And if yeah. I got another one today, it would it would just be another recliner. Yeah, um, probably twenty two to twenty five year old Richard pre pre marriage Richard just always assumed that there would be a recliner. In the living room in my house. <laughs> um, once uh, Mrs. Cross, Dr. Cross, entered the uh, the equation, it was abundantly clear that there was not going to be a recliner in our living room. And there hasn't been. So, no, I don't have a recliner that I'm attached to. I, I mean, I get that you're, you know, beyond just that particular piece of furniture. But, no, I'm not, I'm not terribly nostalgic. I'm not terribly nostalgic about houses. I mean, but that's just me. Hey, Dad, you're shaking your head, but you have sworn that, you know, barring some sort of financial calamity or a job offer that, you know, is going to pay you seven figures and cause you to move to another locale, that you will be buried from the home in which you currently live. That's got nothing to do with nostalgia. It's got to do with my disdain for moving. Okay. I mean, I like my house, but... If I could be in a better house tomorrow, and all I, did, I didn't have to move anything, I could just walk in and it's done, I'd move today. You know there are people that you can hire to do that for you. I don't make that Richard Cross money. We've had this oh, discussion. Stop I don't, it. I don't, I don't have, you know, Cross 1 and Cross 2 at the hangar just waiting on me to go. I don't. Do <sighs> you know how cool that would be? <laughs> it would be awesome. <laughs> you you, kidding you me? Got, Man, Yes. I wish I had that. I, I will make no bones, uh, no bones about it. Um, put it on the poll, oh, uh, uh, Borky. Put it, put the poll question up again. I almost just called you by my son's name, so fair enough. Uh, is there a piece of furniture in your life that you would shed a tear over if you had to part ways with it? Did you did you shed a tear? No, but it did kind of hit me. You know, just your lip tremble. No, I didn't get any of that. It was more just like, oh, man. You know, I, I remember watching games with my dad in that thing. And I remember this past football season, James is asleep in my arm as I'm watching football this year, and that chair's gone. I, it, it took me a couple hours to stop thinking about all the things that I had done mm. over my life in that chair. It was weird. Ceasefire text line again, 601-879-4395. Way to wear the pants, Richard. What man doesn't have a recliner? Even Haydad has one. Well, first of all, my wife looks far better in pants than I do, and so that'll be just fine. Um, no, I, I don't care. We got we got two couches, a couple of other chairs you can sit in. I'd rather lie down on the couch. And and for what it's worth, I do have a recliner that's tucked away, kind of in a storage room. Um, 
So I own one and just don't get to use it in public, or at least the public part of our home. Uh, Chris in Oxford, hey, Dad, that sounds like a personal problem. I guess he's talking about moving. Somebody points out, they said they've got the sectional couch that has four recliners. Nice. I, ch- I tried to get about. that one when we moved into our, our first house a few years ago, and that was a hard no. Uh, Ron in Columbus, Borky says, uh, think about the bright side. Your old recliner now has a new beginning for someone else. Nice. I like that. Borky, altruistic. Either that or they're using it for a chair for their dogs like we did with somebody else's old recliner. So... <laughs> What are the Clinton, uh, Scott and Clinton says we should cue the Streisand music memories. Mike in Grand Bay, yes, a hutch that my dad made for my grandmother, and right, she dad. gave it to me. I would cry over that. That's acceptable. Totally yeah. acceptable. Yeah. Something I'm handmade, a family heirloom, yes, 100%. Uh, here's one, Borky, I feel you had a recliner in my house that my mom rocked me to sleep in. I'm 44 years old. I rocked my three boys to sleep in it. A few years ago, I got rid, it, uh, rid of it and felt the same way about it as you did. Why'd you get rid of it then? Because at the end of the day, it is just a piece of furniture, like mine. You know, I, I upgraded my office some, and we have no other space for that that old recliner, and so it was just kind of it's it's time to go. But it doesn't make it any less. I wasn't expecting that. Like my high school car, when I got rid of that, I was pumped, and and I have all kinds of memories from from that car. And I didn't get emotional about that. But it's this stupid chair for some reason that hit me. Yeah, I uh, I hear you. UCA and Austin P on Saturday night, twenty four seventeen was the final. And if you didn't like what happened between thirty seconds into the game and thirty seconds remaining in the game, at least the beginning and the end was exciting. 75-yard touchdown run, first play of scrimmage, 16 seconds, time of possession. Austin P goes up 7 to nothing. Mostly UCA for the rest of the game. Austin P actually led in the game 10 to nothing. UCA down 17-16 with a minute 40 to play, 10-yard touchdown pass with 34 seconds left, a minute 6 on the scoring drive to go up 24-17 and hang on for the win. How important was it for this game to be played on Saturday night? What did you take away? I know you probably don't care about the UCA Bears, the Austin P. Governors, but what did it mean for college football as a whole? We'll talk about that when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, just getting started on this Monday afternoon with you. Big day for the field goal kicker for what used to be the Sugar Bears. Now they're just the UCA Bears, more grown up and proper and whatnot. Hayden Ray kicked 30, 27, and 32-yard field goals in the game. He also had a 34-yard touchdown run and a late touchdown pass to give UCA a 24-17 win over Austin P in Montgomery. It was the FCS kickoff classic on Saturday night. Played it at Crampton Bowl. The attendance was announced as 2,000. I, I don't know. doesn't matter how many people were actually there. That was the but, limit they put on the game, for whatever okay. that's worth. All right, so 2,000 was the max attendance. 
and let's just assume there were 2,000 people there, whatever, doesn't matter. You had fans in the stands. You had players on the field. You had a television broadcast. You had multiple radio broadcasts. You had a college football game. Yes, it was an FCS game. Does not matter. It was a real live football game played in 2020. And I have to believe there were a bunch of eyes on that. Eyes like John Cohen checking in to see, okay, is this going to work? Keith Carter. Um, maybe at a much more immediate level, Jeremy McLean at Southern Miss. They've got a game on Thursday night in Hattiesburg at the Rock. Would think that conference commissioners, Greg Sankey, John Swafford, Bob Bowlesby, all looking on to go, okay, this is, this, they're going to they're gonna get through this? They got through it. And it was fun. And it was real football. What do you think Saturday night meant for everybody else that is attempting to play football this year? It was huge. It was huge, especially when you think you know Austin P had some players out. Obviously, they were missing all of their long snappers, um, but they were still able to play the game, and that's what you know. This was the first step of showing people: look, even with players out, even with all the restrictions, you can still play these games. You can still get people in the stadium. So, you know, you mentioned all those people who were, who were watching it. Boy, you got to believe Kevin Warren and Larry Scott are watching and going, "What have we done?" You. Th- <sighs> I would like to believe that. I talked about But this I don't on, think they're willing to admit that they've messed something up. Here, you, you bring up a good point. We talked about this on, on my podcast today, Joel and I. And, you know, we, there's been so much talk this offseason about the media rooting for the end of college football. Don't you feel like Kevin and Warren and Larry Scott and those guys are they're rooting for this to fail, right? Without a doubt. Maybe not openly, but they have to be saying we, we need them to around mid-October to have to say we can't do it. Is it crazy? I don't, but I don't view that as a failure. I'm Bork, Borky, I'm sorry for interrupting. I don't view that as a failure. If we play on September 26th, and we play on October 3rd, and we play on October 10th, but then on October 17th we go, can't play this week. And we have to press pause well, I mean, on the college I meant football like term, season. I meant in terms of we can't play college football anymore this year. What I don't could think that's possibly happen, happen, though, that will oh. make, if it starts, to make them say, not we're pressing pause, we are shutting the whole flipping thing down? Maybe after like three weeks you just have a huge burst in, in cases. I don't think you're going to have that. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm yeah. just saying that's what Kevin Warren and Larry Scott are secretly, fingers crossed, under the table thinking. Is it crazy to think that uh, although the, the game being played means a lot, it's, it's a huge deal, and it shows, and I kept thinking the entire game, because I watched almost all of it. I missed the first part, but watched basically the entire game. I thought the whole time, when you look at the budgets and the financial resources, or lack thereof, for Central Arkansas and Austin P, they found a way to play this game, but the hundred-plus million-dollar budgets across the board in the Big Ten could not find a way to play this game. I kept thinking that the whole time, but call me crazy. Do you think it's equally, if not more important, that UCA plays again on Thursday, like they're scheduled to. That not only do they play their first game, but play they UAB get to on get, Thursday. They play UAB on Thursday night. That they're they able to, to get game. to game number two and play that one. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. And and Borky, I actually think you really nailed it with that last point you made. I was having a conversation with a uh, uh, let's just say a college athletics official. I'll be good and generic about that this morning. Uh, but it, but it's somebody at pretty high level. 
And he said, can you imagine what the people in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are thinking after watching that on Friday night? And his words were, that's two programs that are nothing. And he wasn't trying, he wasn't being insensitive, he was being realistic. He said, that is a money-losing event that happened on Saturday night. Austin P. lost money. UCA lost money. The folks that put the game on lost money. Nobody's making money on FCS football. Those programs are not flush with cash. And they played a football game. And they played a football game with a limited number, albeit, fans in the stands and officials on the field and coaches on the sideline and a television crew and as I said a second ago radio crews they played a game but on the 11th of August the Big Ten told us can't do it not this year not going to be able to and the Pac-12 tripped over their own feet trying to follow suit they wanted to go so fast to cancel it all And then the best laid plans didn't work out so well for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 when they thought everybody else was going to follow suit. And now we're to actual games. We had one on Saturday night. We got a bunch on Saturday this week. We got a bunch on Saturday this week, but before we get to Saturday, we got a couple of Thursdays, right? I mean, we got UCA and UAB on Thursday night. And to Borky's point just a second ago, second game in five days for Central Arkansas. We got South Alabama and Hattiesburg against Southern Miss. CBS Sports Network, 8 o'clock kick. This weekend, Eastern Kentucky is at Marshall. Middle Tennessee is at Auburn. SMU is down in San Marcos to take on Texas State. Who's at Auburn? Army. Sorry. Army. Middle Tennessee is at Army. I said Auburn. What just happened? You know who the coach is at Texas State, by the way. Um... Jacob Peeler is the offensive coordinator. And the head coach is Jake Spavital, Johnny That's Manziel's right. offensive coordinator. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Spavital hired uh, former wide receivers coach at Ole Miss, uh, Jake Peeler, to uh, be his offensive coordinator. Be slinging the ball all over the field. Houston Baptist is at, is that North Texas? North Texas. How about this one on Saturday night on ESPN at 7 o'clock? Arkansas State at Memphis. Memphis took a big blow. Yesterday, losing Kenneth Huge. And that's one of the big storylines of the weekend that we're going to get to as we move through the show this afternoon. You had two really, really big opt-outs. One of them was in the American, and so probably it doesn't make as big a ripple. But Kenneth Gainwell was spectacular for Memphis a year ago, both in the run game and in the receiving game, the pass game. I think 16 total touchdowns last year, big part of Memphis's offense. A Memphis team that is expected by a bunch of people to be the best group of five team in the country. They took a big hit over the weekend. Yeah, but they lost Daryl Henderson, and then now they replaced him with Gainwell. They probably got another guy like him right on the roster. Some overlooked kid. Hopefully he's not from Mississippi, so we don't have to deal with those questions all the time. But they probably got some kid who will rush for 1,000-plus yards this year. And and who Gainwell was not expected to be that going into last no. season. They lost Daryl Henderson, but you remember they had um, Jonathan Taylor. No, that's not right. 
That's not right. Jonathan the Taylor was at Wisconsin. Is it Tony yeah, Pollard? No, Wasn't yeah. that his name? Yeah. Uh, well, Pollard was okay. gone also. No, they lost a couple of studs, but there was another guy that was expected to be their big time running back a year ago, and he got hurt early. Played against Ole Miss, got hurt, then didn't come back and missed a bunch of games. But everybody they forgot got, about him because Gainwell was so good. They, they they got players up there. They 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 know how to recruit the guys that want to fit their system. Stephen F. Austin is at UTEP. Monday night, BYU at Davy. That's like a real game. That's a yeah. game with like teams you'd be interested in. And and it's not anyway, just watch a real game. It's a game where one team is going to get on an airplane and fly all the way across the country to play a legit intersectional matchup. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's going to be something to watch. This, this fall is going to be like nothing we've ever seen. Bork, you got another poll question for you. All right. Did you watch Austin P. Central Arkansas on Saturday night? Yes, every bit of it. Yes, some of it. Nah, just kind of flipping channel, stop for a minute, or absolutely not. I kind of accidentally already did that poll, but didn't have as uh, intricate of That's okay. answers. It's a yes or That's no. Okay. 75% yes right now on 100 votes. Okay. 100 votes in, 75 of you said yes, I watched. I fall into the category of yes, I watched, but I didn't watch all of it. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Monday afternoon. You can put your thinking cap on because winners and losers will be coming your way in about 30 minutes. What did you like from the weekend? What did you not like from the weekend? What a great Sunday finish for the BMW Championship right outside of Chicago. Chicagoland area, Olympia Fields. High drama. At the Borky, did you watch the end of that? That was incredible, wasn't it? Just spectacular. Dustin Johnson makes a 43-foot birdie putt on 18 to force a playoff with John Rahm. Johnson was on a tear to start his round. Looked like he might run away with it. Then he came became very pedestrian and then made a charge at the end. Rom really steady, really good in the final round. Then they go to a playoff, and anything you can do, I can do better. So the 43.3-foot putt by DJ to send it to a playoff left uh, forgotten. After Rom makes a 61-footer on the first playoff hole for birdie in the win, although it actually wasn't for the win. DJ still had a like a thirty foot birdie putt or so to uh, try and force another hole, but didn't happen that way. Uh, John Rom gets the win yesterday in Chicago. It was just great theater at the end of that round, and it felt like it, it was an important thing. This is what I was talking about last week or two weeks ago, where where the first playoff didn't feel important. Well, the way the course played over the weekend, and then that theater at the end felt like it was big time. Hey, Dan, were you glued to the uh, the couch watching the end of that? 
No, but I did see both of those putts uh, come across my Twitter feed, and they were incredible. Yeah, really, really cool. Um, got big news here in the state of Mississippi just a little while ago. Uh, Governor Tate Reeves, in his press conference this afternoon, made an announcement. And it was an announcement that uh, I think is going to please a lot of people. The executive order that restricted attendance at high school football games to two um, fans per participant, players, band members, cheerleaders, dance team, etc., that has been lifted and has been replaced with the 25% stadium capacity uh, number that uh, the colleges in the state are operating with as well. And Governor Reeves told us last week when we talked to him on Wednesday that if the numbers related to coronavirus continued to improve, that there would be an opportunity that we could see some of the restrictions ease. We see that now with um, with high school football. It's got to make people happy, right? Because people were not happy with what they deemed as a double standard between high school football and college football. My question is, are there some places where this is actually going to result in fewer people being able to go to the games? <laughs> the math won't work out for them, you don't think? Yeah. I can't see that. It's like you got a 2,000-seat stadium, a 1,500-seat stadium, and now you're limited to a quarter of that, You know, so 500, 350 people, depending on what the number is. You have to have a really big band. And then what do you do school. with the people that hang around That's the fair. fence? Not every field has a fence, but there are people. My dad was one of them. He, he would go find a spot away from people because he's like me and hated people and would stand on the fence that went around the field. And, of course, so I could you know see him and we would interact. But what about those people? If the stadium is only One per be, fence post. But seriously, you want to talk about social distancing. That's about six feet. <laughs> right? So, I, I mean, if you're only going to let 25% of your stadium capacity, there are people that go to games that never actually sit in a seat. They're going to have to find Well, I, I, don't, I don't understand what a, you're a getting directive at. about that. They're going to have to make a directive for that. Right. Just, that's you, you got to you, you got to sit down. If you're not if you're not in your seat, you know, you, you can't you can't stand on the fence, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Feels like hand-raised guy common sense could prevail in this situation. Well, I mean, Maybe it does. You don't have to go sit in a seat. Maybe you can spread out around the fence around the stadium like you're talking about, socially distanced. But the bottom line is, if there is a 3,000-seat stadium, 750 people can enter the gates to watch the game. That's the bottom line, regardless of where they sit. So that makes sense, doesn't it? At least it's uniform. But a lot of people were confused by the lack of uniformity. Yeah. Well, and as, as Tate Reeves pointed out last week, it's about stadium size, right? I mean, you can let ten to 15,000 people into a 60,000-seat stadium because you can socially distance. You, you can't let 3,500 people into a 5,000-seat stadium because you can't socially distance. And so they're going with that quarter capacity, and it's good. But I, mean, I remember there was a lot of angst when we were having our conversation with the governor, I mean, we got, I don't know, half a dozen text messages asking him why they can't, why it's only two per participant in high school. Well, he gave an answer then, and 
Regardless, you get an answer now. And it was a move in the, the, the direction of positive in terms of more people be, being able to go to games. Still no tailgating, question mark. That's on the ceasefire text line. No. No tailgating. Somebody said it would be like the Philadelphia Phillies fans outside the stadium <laughs> with their air horns. Did you guys see that last night on, uh, on the Sunday night baseball game? No. Wild game between the Braves and Phillies. You had Philly fans that were hanging on the fence trying to peep through the, the fence into the stadium, and it was like they had vuvuzelas and uh, air horns. Every time something would happen, <laughs> it came through the broadcast. It was great. All you got to do is just uh, rent one of those, uh, go to a, a scissors local place, yeah, and just do that. Park them around the stadium. Um, do you think athletes feel less pressure or nerves with no fans there? It seems like DJ and Rom were playing like it was just a weekend game at their local club, and Jamal Murray is lighting up the playoff bubble like it's a local YMCA. Jamal Murray went for 50 yesterday in the Nuggets' win to force game seven. But does he have 140 points over three games with just six turnovers? Is that good? It's incredible what he's done. He's always had that kind of potential, though. I mean, maybe the being in the bubble and not having fans is eliminating the pressure, but he's had that upside, and yeah, now he, it's just getting unleashed. Player. He's a good player. I, I would imagine like the fan thing. It just depends, you know. On the road, if these were road games, sure. But if it's a home game, I don't. I don't know that not having that crowd, you know, light up after a big shot or, or a big putt wouldn't help you. So I, I feel like it's sort of the one of those six of one, half dozen of the other kind of answers. Did you see the memo that uh, got sent to all the guests? So now family and stuff are allowed in, a yeah. certain number of family. Uh, they all got sent a memo basically saying, uh, because there's no fans, the cameras and microphones can hear you, so do not cuss, please. <laughs> like, like Basically, Good watch luck. your mouth, because we'll be able to hear what you say on TV. Ugh. How's that any different than what the players are saying on the floor? It's not, but so we, we haven't question. heard much of that. No, we've been, it's, it's been all right. But you, you, I mean, you're a basketball broadcaster. Is there a difference between the microphones where the fans are? Like, are they pointed away from the court to maybe avoid hearing stuff like that? How do they go about it? Because if the players use language that nobody in the stands will ever use towards the players, that's just kind of how they they operate. You didn't know unless you're a lip reader, old Brian Haydad, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was known to use some colorful language. Vitriolic. <laughs> but, Something like that. But is there like a preventative measure in the broadcast to avoid picking up sounds on the court? Uh, no, actually quite the opposite. We mic the, um, we mic the rims so that you hear the clang and the swish. We have microphones that are usually set up around the announcer's table that are ported, pointed toward the court. Uh, they're, they're directional, usually, so it you know kind of pointed in the direction of being able to pick up you know shoes squeaking and ball dribbling and whatnot. Um, I don't know. They may have gone with a different setup in that particular environment. 
But I think they're operating on a delay. There was there was one game I was watching last week, at some point last week, on a night when they were actually playing, because that wasn't all the nights last week. Um, where I heard an announcer go, I don't know if you heard the exact same thing that we heard, but wow, those guys are hot. And I think they are operating with that delay to try to avoid some of that. Sports Talk Mississippi. Maybe not great news if you're a Saints fan. We'll get to that next. Ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, and Michael Borky. Thanks for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Boys, cause for concern in NOLA in the dirty... Well, that no, wait, that's Atlanta. Sorry, the dirty, dirty. What are you doing? Good the Lord. big easy, I was about to say. It depends. It, it, it Honestly, it depends on what Kamara's looking for. So when camp began... I, he was... I guess maybe I should have set up the story instead of just assuming everybody actually knew what we were talking about. Maybe so. Yeah. Uh, running back... to this show. Alvin Kamara... Appears to be making a late push for a contract extension. He was very open coming into camp. And by the way, participated in camp for a few weeks, but has had uh, unexcused absences the last few days. Scheduled to make $2.133 million in the final year of his rookie contract. And Borky famously now, before camp started, said he didn't want to talk about it. His quote was, don't tell me about anything According, he, apparently he said this to his agent. Don't tell me about anything about a contract until it's like something where it's happening or there's something I need to know. It'll happen when it happens. It's never been something like I didn't come into the NFL thinking about, ooh, I can't wait till I get a contract. It's like I'm playing, and when that comes, it's going to be well-deserved. It's going to be perfect timing for it. It's just not something that's the forefront of my day. It's not something I wake up thinking about. Clearly, something changed, and there's something else that is going to change next year. And and maybe that's the impetus for Alvin Kamara, because the salary cap structure appears as if it's going to look a lot different next year because of loss of revenue this year. Yeah, and then how do you handle that? Because a team like the Saints, their top five, uh, in salary cap right now, or at least going into next year, and they're still going to have to pay a handful of other guys as well. Uh, they'd be under the cap next year, but if it goes down by what people projected to go down, I mean they're, I mean fifty million plus over the cap. So is the league going to provide some kind of forgiveness, or are they going to have to force teams to cut a bunch of dudes to get under the cap? I don't understand how that's going to work moving forward. But when it comes to Camara, I, I think. Based on his quotes and the way he goes about his business, this holdout tells me that they're close, and that's why he's holding out. Just that little bit of extra leverage to get it done at the end? Yeah, Michael Thomas did the same thing. And and holdouts, uh, Mickey Loomis and the Saints, uh, holdouts aren't really common with them. They're usually pretty proactive with their deals. My concern would be, as good as versatile as Kamara is, and that's the biggest thing with him and guys like Christian McCaffrey's their versatility. They're not just standard running backs; they're pass catchers as well. But if he's asking for McCaffrey money, as electric and as good as he is, you gotta let him walk. Why? It's just too much. 
especially when you've got Ryan Ramchek, who's going to have to be given a deal here soon, and he's your future left tackle in your franchise, so you're going to need to pay him. You've got Marshawn Lattimore that's going to need a new deal here very soon. I don't know what they're going to do with the quarterback position when Breeze retires. I mean, are they going to go draft one, or is it you give a deal to Jameis? Or, so they've got a lot of things they've got to deal with financially. And you've already got a $100 million wide receiver. Plus Demario Davis. And Demario His contract Davis comes needs, up next year as well. And you want to keep him. He's the most underrated linebacker in the NFL, Brandon, Mississippi native. Uh, so, um, in, in terms of those deals that you talked about, Christian McCaffrey got a $16 million per year deal. Derrick Henry got $12.5 million, and the expectation is that Camaro wants to be somewhere between those. The Saints currently have, for next year, committed $246.6 million in salary cap money. This year's salary cap was 198.2. Everybody thought that it was going to continue to go up, but now with the loss of revenue this year, the 21 cap could go down as far as 175 million. And so instead of making a 25 million dollar jump, you could be looking at a 25 million dollar drop. And Borky, you said in the neighborhood of 50, that would put you closer to $75 million over the cap based on the commitments that the Saints currently have for 21. So if you're the NFL, I mean, what do you do? Because they're not going to be the only team that has salary and contract commitments. Do you give? Do you have some kind of forgiveness? or I, What do you do? I do not know the answer to that. And would not begin to guess. I mean, I, my guess is that the owners are really not, that they're going to want to stick to the reduced number because they're trying to recoup some of their losses from this lost revenue year. What do you hope they might that want you can to get avoid fans the penalties? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You hope you can get fans in the stands at some point this year and in full numbers next year. Sports Talk Mississippi, one hour in the books. Winners and losers is next. Killing it today, boys. Two-spire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Want more fast and less furious? Switch to C Spire Fiber and see what real internet looks like. No data caps, no long-term contracts, no cancellation fees. Don't settle for slow speeds, lousy reliability, and bad customer service from the other guys. With C Spire Fiber, you get gigabit speeds, well over 99% reliability, and local 24-7 support, so nothing slows you down. See if C Spire Fiber is available in your area at cspire.com slash fiber. Good to be with you. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. Monday afternoon, the 31st of August, the last day of August. We are a weekend closer to the start of the college football season, four weeks from this past Saturday until September 26th. That's close. We are four days 
Only three nights sleeps, actually. Until Southern Miss opens the season against South Alabama on Thursday night in Hattiesburg. It's really like just half a day. What, three and a half days? Is that where we're going? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Four days from right now, we will be four hours from kickoff. You can do the math on that if you want to. Yeah, it will be a beautiful thing. Uh, Time right now for winners and losers. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser, baby. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner never win. And a winner never win. All right, what did you like from the weekend? What did you dislike from the weekend? I will start, I guess with uh, what we mentioned in the first hour. From Chicago, Olympia Fields, second leg of the FedEx Cup playoffs. DJ makes a 43-foot birdie putt on 18 to force a playoff with John Rom. First playoff hole, Rom drops a 60-footer. And by the way, neither of those putts, the putt that DJ hit from 43 feet or 41 feet, whatever it was, it was a double-breaker. He started at about four or five feet left of the hole. It breaks down the hill. It's heading toward the hole and then flattens back out and breaks again and goes dead center. It was gorgeous. And you got about the most animated reaction that you ever get from DJ. It was kind of like one quick little windmill arm pump, and then he was stoic again. John Rahm, on the first playoff hole, drains a 60-footer, and Borky, what did it have? 10, 12 feet of break in it. And a 90-degree angle, too. It was a huge bender. And then John Rahm looked like, I, I don't know what he looked like celebrating. He was so happy. He was, he was fist pumped. pumping and jumping up and down. And, you know, why not? I mean, $2 million bump for the uh, for the win, not bad. Not bad. So those two guys, from the finish they delivered on the PGA Tour, top of my winners list. Hey, Dad, give me one. I think the first winner we should mention is all of us because we have winners to choose from. There, there were, like, a lot of options. Amen. So I'm, going, I'm going simple, man. Central Arkansas, they played a college football game. They are 1-0. Got a dub. If, if it ended right now, they'd be national champions. Uh, that game, was, it was just so enjoyable. I mean, I, I agree. The, the quality of football, obviously not what we're you know going to see in a few weeks when the SEC kicks off. But just to, when that game kicked off, I felt the kind of joy I have not felt since all of this crap started. And, I mean, I sat there in my recliner and watched every snap of that game with a smile on my face. People were on Twitter saying, oh, I, I was having none of it. Muted a few folks. I was like, I'm not having your negativity today. Did Normally you really? I'm a negative kind of, oh, yeah, I was like, I'm not having it today. I'm just not. We are watching college football, and by God, we're going to be happy for it. College football, Central Arkansas, that's my winner. Borky? Uh, winner and a loser tied up into the same event. The loser is all of us uh, because winner Chadwick Bozeman uh, passed away mm. over the weekend. Um 
Super, super talented. Unexpected to all of us, even though uh, he was diagnosed with colon cancer in 2016. Didn't tell anybody about it. Nobody had any idea. And he decided to use uh, the remaining years of his life to make really good movies as an exceptional actor. But he spent a lot of time with the children at St. Jude, working as an advocate for childhood cancer. And if you go back and watch some of his interviews that he's done since his diagnosis, and we didn't know that he had cancer at the time, the, the class and the, the grace that he handled himself with in interviews when talking about other people's struggles while he knew he was dying is remarkable. If I am met with some kind of event like that in my life, I hope I handle it to an eighth of the way he did. It's just unbelievable going back and watching some of his interviews and actions after his fatal diagnosis, and the way he carried himself is remarkable. So Chadwick Boseman's a winner. Uh, you don't lose your battle with cancer. Uh, I saw a lot of people push back on that, lost his battle with cancer terminology. He didn't lose at all. Um, incredible story. He was Jackie Robin. He played Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall, and he was the Black Panther. So. It, just an incredible guy, and we are losers for not having uh, to see his work anymore. The New York Yankees righted the ship a bit yesterday after losing a pair of games to the Mets on Saturday to take their losing streak to eight, I believe it was. Maybe I'm off by a game. Maybe it was nine. They won a pair of, I guess, they no, they lost twice on Friday. They won Saturday and they won twice yesterday. So they now won three in a row after losing eight straight, I believe it was, seven or eight, and kind of rescued what had been a really bad week. They had lost games and then had games postponed and then came back and were playing poorly, but then won a little bit, and so... Yankees go from losers to winners for me over the uh, the course of, I don't know, about 36 hours or so. Hey, Dad, you got another winner? You said you, you there was a bunch out there to be happy about. I mean, as a Lakers fan, i got to put them on the list. Uh, are they the only team in the I guess the Clippers went through last night, but <clears throat> got the job done. Didn't really play well in Game 5, but st- still did enough to win. Uh, LeBron is, is seems to be pretty engaged. He, playoff LeBron seems to be happening, which I'm – I'm glad to finally be able to have on my team. Uh, AD is playing really well. The role players are doing their job. I, I still feel no no different. I think they're going to win their uh, 17th World Championship in a few weeks. Mm. Forgive me. I mean, I'd be happy for you if your Lakers won a title. Mm-hmm. I think I would be equally happy if LeBron never won another contest of anything that he participated in for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. I just... Not, not impressed with a guy who has the platform that he's got and the way he deals with it. And apparently, if you believe guys like Adrian Wojnarowski and um, Stephen A. Smith has really alienated a bunch of other players in the NBA, particularly the younger players in the NBA. And that's a shame that a guy that has the platform that he's got and could be using that platform for all kinds of good, instead is doing whatever it is that he's doing. That's just just me, though. 
Um, Borky, anything else on the winter side of things? Uh, no, nothing else. The the college football thing, I think, was the, the biggest story of the weekend, the fact that we got it and it was played. Also, uh, news just broke, by the way. Uh, according to the Big Ten, their vote was 11-3 to in favor, in favor of, of canceling the season. 11-3. to <clears throat> That's what they're filing in court. Although... There were more than three programs that had leadership that said, we didn't really take a vote. So, interesting. Yeah. The Athletic, among others, has got it. I think it, Nicole Auerbach maybe was the first to report it. Big Ten voted 11-3 to to postpone its season. On August 11th, the Big Ten became the first of the Power Five conferences to postpone the fall college football season. I wonder if they had to go back and like recreate the vote so that they could actually make it admissible in court. And isn't the 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 legal counsel for Big Ten arguing that if they can prove a vote happened, then the whole lawsuit should be null and void? Yes, some of that. Yeah, we'll see if the uh, if the judge signs on with that philosophy. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll get some of your winners and losers. When we come back, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Ceasefire text line, that's where you can send us your winners and losers from the weekend. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395 if you want to be part of the conversation. Aaron and Jackson, nice guy. I think. He says, my winner is Sports Talk Mississippi. You guys are great. I can't imagine my late afternoons without you. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for being with us, Darren. You are welcome. Appreciate that. Roger in Rienzi. I'm going to need a little more information here. I guess I missed this story. Loser, LPGA winner, the lady who won the championship. Oh, I'm sorry. Loser, LPGA, winner, the lady who won the championship. Was this the one where didn't get through qualifying school or was one shot short of making it through Q school and didn't get the eligibility for the next year necessary? I don't know. Roger, you may have to give me a little bit more on that. Jeff said he was helping us out. He said, Richard... Three days, three hours, and change until kickoff in Hattiesburg. Thanks, Jeff. My math strikes again. Uh, CJ in the Delta says, loser. Um, I'm going to soften this a little bit, CJ. Just, I'm just going to. He doesn't want to see... Social message, uh, social justice messages on players' helmets or uniforms in the upcoming season. I got some bad news for you. Well, it, yes, in so much as the NCAA has allowed it. Do you think we're going to see it from oh, SEC schools? Absolutely. I don't know. Would be amazed if it's if it's not on there. You're going to in the NFL. And see, this is where the NFL has run into some problems now because on the the back portion of the helmet, the the bottom of the back of the helmet, you know how teams have their their name or whatever on it. 
um, they're going to be allowed to put the names of people who have been killed at the hands of police. And I've, I saw some examples earlier. Um, but Jason Witten wasn't allowed to put any kind of memorial to police officers that were murdered in Dallas years ago. The NFL told him he could not do that. We're going down this road now. We were talking, we were having so much fun. Well, that's where, that's where the hypocrisy lies. And that, that's, that's the problem with this. And people are going to point that out, and it's going to piss them off, and they're absolutely right. It's, it's pandering hypocrisy is what it is. Okay. Yeah, I just, I don't know what we're going to see at the college football level. But I do know that there are a lot of people who are influential in the college athletics world. We've talked with John Harris some about this on the NFL front. I mean, Borky, you say you're going you're gonna to see it in the NFL. It's going to cost teams, some teams, money in terms of sponsorships, in terms of season ticket sales. In some cases, there are people that say, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of this, and my company's not going to be a part of this anymore, and good luck to you in making up that revenue. And I don't think that's necessarily a foreign concept as it pertains to college athletics, especially in the SEC. You have companies who advertise and partner with college football teams, with universities. If those companies don't agree with the messaging or don't agree with the way the messaging is carried, uh, being carried out, are they going to stand by and continue to spend money with schools? Schools are going to have to weigh that. They're going to have to balance that. Because I think generally speaking, athletics programs and universities are supporting these athletes speaking out and seeking change. But what happens if it really starts to significantly affect the bottom line? And what if, what if it costs you a half a million dollar contract, a half a million dollar sponsorship? What if it costs you a million dollar sponsorship in a time when revenue is already down? Can you afford to do that? I think that's, I think those are real life conversations that are happening. I know there are instances where those conversations are happening. And it's something that the schools are going to have to do. Tim and McGee says, I love this show. You guys are awesome. But we know now that we can live without sports. Don't want to, but a lot of people will not watch. Brian and Clarksdale says, do a listener poll and see how many of us will not watch pro sports. Robin Grenada, thank you, Michael, for saying what should be said. Jake and Laurel, I finally agree with Hey Dad on something. Don't go down this political road. He says, please. We tried, Jacob. And Roger does give us context. He says, uh, LPGA Tour not changing exemption rules despite Sophia Popov's win. She was only given an exemption to the end of the 2021 campaign 
rather than the full five years that generally she would have gotten if she had had full status on the tour, I believe it is. Jerry and Brookhaven agrees with Brian Haydad, at least in this sense. He says, I'll watch. He's going to watch sports because he wants to watch sports. Absolutely. I will, too. But there are are not people like us. And I was asked yesterday during the show, when's it going to stop? And I said, quite simply, when people stop watching. That's when you'll see it go away. It's a bottom line thing. Once this starts affecting the bottom line, it will stop. That's as simple as you can put it. Ceasefire text line again is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. We get one message that says, golf only, they actually have to earn their money. <laughs> yeah, the endorsements are nice too, though. That's a good point, though. Another vote, my eyes will be glued to live sports. It's easy to go in the kitchen while the national anthem's being played and grab a drink and then come back when it's done. Well, they don't even show it on TV, like 90% of the time. You have to to find it on Twitter. Unless it's controversial, and then they will. Oh, yeah. And then college, the the players aren't even on the field. Like, I've seen... The the first week of the NFL, we will see the the national anthem, and the camera will pan through the the players who are kneeling. I have seen so many people, well, well, if if Ole Miss kneels during the anthem, I'm out. Well, you don't have to worry about that. They will not be out there. Have you never been to a college football game, sir? They don't air it out on the field. No. Um, as I said at the outset today, a lot going on, a lot that's out there, plenty for us to get to as we uh, cruise through the uh, the afternoon this weekend. What else stood out to you this weekend? Uh, a weekend where we had a lot happening on the diamond, on the hardwood, on the gridiron, and so on. So what stood out to you this weekend? You've seen Major League, sure. Maybe. The the scene where like the Indians are hovering around five hundred, and they're they're like, you know, these guys aren't that bad. That's how I feel about the Giants right now. You know, they're they're not that bad. Now I'm sure there's <clears> you know some groundskeepers and they they're still whatever. But like I think if the playoffs were today, I don't know if it goes by winning percentage. If it goes by wins, the Giants would be in the playoffs. If it goes by winning percentage, I think they're a game out. I would never have predicted that when this this started up. Alex Scarborough wrote a story about um, the UCA-Austin P game, and Borky pointed out a specific part of it that was talking about tailgating. And <laughs> there's some funny takeouts in this story. The officials running up and down the field wearing masks. <laughs> And one official <laughs> did not realize that the microphone was on, and he used expletive, expletive, mask. <laughs> Unaware that his microphone was on. <laughs> and how about, this, how about this excerpt from a, uh, a guy that set up a tailgate? said, in the South, it's part of life. Football's not an option. It's a lifestyle. But in truth, tailgates like Butler's were few and far between. Tailgates weren't allowed on city property. If you want to get technical about it, the smell of booze and barbecue, the real sense of football Saturdays, was noticeably absent. It was like walking into your neighborhood bar in the cold light of day. You understand where you are, 
but it's somehow unfamiliar. It's really strong writing right there. That's pretty good writing by Alex Scarborough. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be back. The road to a repeat got a little more difficult over the weekend for the reigning college football national champions, LSU. We mentioned earlier in the show today that uh, Kenny Gainwell, Kenneth Gainwell at uh, Memphis, who had an outstanding season a year ago, kind of burst onto the scene as, I think, a redshirt freshman. 16 touchdowns, over 1,000 yards rushing. Excuse me, over 1,000 yards rushing, several hundred yards receiving as well. He's opting out. And news out of Baton Rouge yesterday, star wide receiver Jamar Chase has informed LSU that he is choosing to opt out of the 2020 season to concentrate on his professional career. A formal announcement was expected today with Chase, the nation's top returning wideout, declaring for the 2021 NFL Draft. The story at CBS Sports yesterday said a highly placed source on Sunday said it's 100% happening. Sources said Chase's decision is not specifically related to COVID-19. Rather, it's believed agents may have simply convinced Chase to leave before his third collegiate season. NFL rules state that a player cannot be drafted until three years after his high school graduation. Chase is a rising junior and will become the most notable college football player to opt out of the 2020 season. He was a unanimous first-team All-America selection and set records in the SEC last year for touchdown catches and receiving yards in a season. 20 TD receptions, 1,780 receiving yards, and won the Bolitnikoff Award for the nation's best receiver a year ago. And look, we know LSU's offense is ridiculously talented. I'm sorry. We know LSU's roster is ridiculously talented. But this is a pretty significant blow to that offense. You, you want to play conspiracy theory with me on this one? Okay. They've been practicing for a few weeks. You think maybe he's just been out there with Miles Brennan and saying, eh, no, this isn't going to be good. I need to get out before it damages my reputation. Twenty eighteen he had twenty three catches and three touchdowns last year, eighty four catches and twenty touchdowns. Including the national championship game. Where he was a monster. He went nine for two twenty one with two TDs, averaged twenty five yards per catch. I saw a message board post today. LSU only has seventy two guys on the roster right now. I mean how many does Ole Miss have coming off of probation? I mean, are they are they back to full eighty five yet? Full. But I mean, what well, they, they have could last they year? could be if they wanted to, but right. they didn't sign a full class. Right. I mean, but seventy two guys. That's not that's not a lot. Uh, I saw another tweet that had their their depth chart from the last game and how many people were cross. I've never I've never seen a team lose this much. Never. They're still going to be pretty good because, like <clears> you said, Richard, they have talent. Yeah. But my goodness. I've never seen a team lose this much production off one year. Three best games last year for Jamar Chase against Vanderbilt on September 21st. Ten catches, 229 yards, and four touchdowns. Against Ole Miss, he had eight catches, 
for 227 and three touchdowns. And again in the championship game, nine for 221 with two TDs. He caught two or more touchdowns against Vanderbilt, Florida, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Clemson. It was an incredible season for Jamar Chase. Even with this loss aside, I think there are only two teams in the SEC that would not today trade their roster for LSUs. Am I crazy? Alabama and Georgia being the Alabama two. and Georgia. I think everybody Florida. else in the SEC would trade their roster today for LSUs. Florida would. Florida's, Florida's roster is better. Is it? I think so. They'll, they'll beat LSU this year. At least in terms of what they have returning. Maybe Borky 1 through 75 LSUs is better. But I think with what Florida's got coming back, they might not trade the known for the unknown. Especially defensively. Uh, really, good, Still should be really good there. But I, too, want to believe that LSU is going to stink out loud this year. That Nothing would, in the college football terms, nothing would bring me greater joy than to watch LSU go 2-8 and eight this year. I, I think that's that would be, not, that's not that would be hilarious to me. I would find that so funny. But even with all these losses, I mean, they had a defensive lineman enter the transfer portal. They've got experience. No, but was expected to be a contributor. But they've got a team full of guys that I just anticipate are going to be as good as anybody else in the SEC from a roster perspective. So when people talk about, oh, well, LSU, they lost so much, and they lost so much, and and that's obviously very, very true – and from, Miss- from the Mississippi perspective, Mississippi State's getting them at the absolute best time you could possibly yeah. get LSU, without a doubt. But it's still and a Ole roster Miss, filled and Ole Miss with... Miss at the worst. Uh, absolute worst. But it's still a roster that is filled with elite-level talent. That yeah. Just no matter how many guys they lose, the, the player that didn't get much experience last year is a guy that has more talent than eight of the All ten right. teams he'll play this year. Think about this. So LSU loses the most prolific passer in a single season in LSU history. But it sounds like they like Miles Brennan. They, they like where it's headed. Everybody LSU likes their quarterback what are they going into say a season. I, no, no, I understand yeah. that. Brennan's but but just finishing up, that thought, that. Yeah. not only do you lose the guy that was throwing the balls, you lose a combined 38 touchdown receptions from a year ago. Justin Jefferson had 18 to go along with 1,540 yards and 111 receptions. And we gave you Jamar Chase's numbers a second ago. You lose more than 38. So combined, say what? You're losing a lot more than 38. How many touchdown catches did Clyde Edwards-Hilaire have? How many did Thaddeus Moss have? Moss had four. Edwards-Hilaire had one. Only had one? I'm, I'm shocked by that. He had 16 rushing touchdowns. Oh yeah, but you yeah, you lose those too. Yeah, I mean, just talking about so receiving. I thought, I, thought he, I thought he had more receiving touchdowns than that. So between Chase Jefferson and Thaddeus Moss, you are losing almost 250 receptions, probably 240 receptions, 37, 3800 receiving yards, and 42 touchdowns. There's no way that offense doesn't take a step back. 
And, and don't forget, we I think we're leaving out the most important thing. They lost Joe Brady. And I, I just I'm not buying into the idea that Brady wasn't a bigger part of what was going on down there than LSU people want to give credit for. They were talking about how Emsinger's still there and he was the one. I, I I'm not yeah. buying that. Because Emsinger was the offensive coordinator in eighteen when they stunk on ice and then they were great last year and now he's Brady's gone. And they bring in Scott Linehan, who was a average NFL offensive mind at best. I, I'm not. I'm not buying. There's a reason. I'm not buying. One of them at their age is calling plays in the NFL now. Yeah. Sure. No. No question about that. No question. I'm with you guys. I don't think LSU is going to be bad. No. The, because they have recruited at a at a high level. And it's a really good team. Yeah. They could go Ceasefire text line. And, well, with the departure of Jamar Chase, there are two starters returning on offense. Yeah. They could go 8-2, and two, but th- those wins are going to be tougher wins. They're, they're not going to roll people off the field like they did last year. They're going to win some close games, though. Their defense is really good, too. Again, this on the ceasefire text line. I'm an LSU fan. I hate to say it, but I'm afraid I agree with what Haydad said. Wide receivers can't look good with a bad quarterback. So I think Jamar Chase tucked and ran. I don't agree with his decision. I believe in being loyal and being a good teammate. I don't know that Chase would have hurt his reputation by being on that team this year. I mean, the body of work is going to speak for itself, and he would have been the number one target. Terrace Marshall is now the number one target. Who's good, but... He's really good. But he's also now the focus of scouting reports. You need Marshall to be Chase. You need somebody to become Justin Jefferson, maybe Racy McMath. And now you need somebody to be what Terrace Marshall was in the first place. I mean, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask. Has a lot to ask. Somebody points out that Auburn 2011 lost a lot of talent from 2010. They brought back some players, but they lost the, the key. They lost the one guy that made that train go in Cam Newton. I don't think Ed Orgeron's going to suffer the same fate if they have an Auburn no. 2011. But no, I don't. No, no, no I don't think not, so either. They're not going to it three and eight anytime soon at LSU. No. I think it's. I mean, LSU is a a pretty fascinating watch right now. They're fascinating because of what's going on on the field. In terms of they've just got a ton to replace. From a national championship winning team that went 15-0 and and rewrote the offensive record books in terms of SEC history. But it's also going to be fascinating to watch off the field with what's going on with the NCAA. Is the NCAA really, like really and truly going to go after a combination of LSU football and basketball together? Are they going to separate it and let football mostly skate? We'll see. What happened with Leonard Fournette in the NFL? You've heard me describe before, and I mean this in the most complimentary way possible. There was a time where I was standing on the sidelines in Baton Rouge. I guess I was on the east side whatever the visitor sideline was, and was down around the 10, maybe the 15-yard line. Line of scrimmage was back around the, oh, I don't know, maybe around the 40. And on what 
I don't know, for the sake of this conversation, I'll describe as like a, a zone read play where the handoff was to the right side and Leonard Fournette bounced it to the outside. And I just happened to be at an angle where when he got to the outside and turned the corner and was running downhill, like toward the goal line, that is etched in my mind as maybe the most fiercely athletic human being I have ever seen in my life. And I've described it as it looked like a thoroughbred at the Kentucky Derby making the turn down the stretch and racing for the finish line. It was, I mean, it, you you could see his eyes. You could see, like, rippling muscles as he was in perfect stride. This combination of speed and agility and just raw power. And I remember thinking at the time, I've never seen an athlete like that. He was so good. So good on a college football field. And at times, has looked that good on the NFL field. But he hasn't looked that way consistently. He apparently at times has been frustrated with being in Jacksonville. He has dealt with some injuries. In three years, Leonard Fournette ran for 2,631 yards and 17 touchdowns. That's over the last three seasons. But the Jaguars did not pick up his fifth-year option during the offseason, actively pursued a trade for him with no serious offers, and today was put on and cleared waivers. Nobody wanted him initially. What happened with Leonard Fournette? It's a combination of a lot, at least in Jacksonville. Um, You mentioned the injury. I mean... In three seasons, when he played a full season, he was a 1,000-yard-plus rusher. Uh, So a really good back, but had consistency issues, then had his hamstring issue. And, I mean, he was involved in that that brawl with, who was it, Buffalo, I think? Yeah. Uh, Got ejected from that game. Is had some locker room issues, off-the-field issues. He's looked at as um, somebody that disrupts culture, that, that causes a toxic environment in the locker room. And I think Jacksonville is also engaging in a tank. So all of those things happened at one time. Locker room issue, injury prone. You don't want to pay running backs in this league. Um, And also Jacksonville, I think, wants to lose on purpose to get Trevor Lawrence. Clearing waivers is surprising to me. I know nobody wants to pay running backs. But that talent, even with the locker room issues that he's got, it's the NFL. Teams have dealt with guys that are bad fits in locker rooms all the time. Antonio Brown got a tryout with the Patriots last year. So I was surprised that he cleared waivers, but not at all surprised that he got released from Jacksonville. A couple of things. uh, A quote from Doug Marone where he says, my question was, can we get any value? And we couldn't get any. So fifth rounder, sixth rounder, we couldn't get anything. Leonard Fournette, in terms of yards from scrimmage last year, 31%. 
of the yards from scrimmage for Jacksonville last season. He had 1,152 yards rushing and 76 yards receiving. That was third best in the NFL. It was better than Derrick Henry in Nashville. It trailed only Christian McCaffrey, who was drafted eighth overall in the 2017 draft. Fournette was drafted fourth overall by the Jags in the 2017 draft. Nick Chubb was the only guy who accounted for more yards from scrimmage last year, 32.5% than Leonard Fournette. So you had McCaffrey at almost 44%, Nick Chubb at 32.5%, and then Leonard Fournette at 31%. Hey, Dad, I think I interrupted you. Sorry. Well, the bigger question here is what happened to Jacksonville? Two years ago, they were leading in the fourth quarter of the ASC championship game. Now that now they've completely fallen apart and they're, they're tanking. That, that's an incredible... I mean, what happens if they had won that game? They played in the Super Bowl, and it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, that, that's a... If Fournette had frustration with Jacksonville, it's, it's well understood. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Five o'clock hour and the college football fix just around the corner. Is on fire today. You're getting the compliments from Hey Dad on the music. You've done something right today. Does Mr. not Borky. happen often. Does not happen he, very often. He is often. killing it today, man. Just on fire. I made a great playlist on Friday night, by the way. If you follow me on Twitter, one of those long work week, crack open a beer and listen to music playlists. It's on my Twitter. You can find it, and it is exceptional. It's it's hmm. kind of it's soft though, hey dad. It's more like kind of kickback music. It's not like this. I can I can get mellow every it's now. It's like drive by truckers, uh, Tedeschi trucks band. There's a main squeeze in there doing a, the best Zeppelin cover I've ever heard. That kind of stuff. If you want to be a part of the conversation, we would love for you to do that. Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. 601 879 4395. That's the number. Tons going on at Ceasefire. We told you about a deal that they had uh, over the weekend that maybe some of you took advantage of. If not, well, I can assure you there will be more deals coming. If you want double the data for the same dang price, prepaid by Ceasefire is the way to go. Prepaid by Ceasefire plans get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. Richard Cross, Michael Borke, Brian Haydad, time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buy Ford now and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You can also catch the end of the summer savings event. Discounts on the full line of Ford SUV. Stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. Borky, uh, to start the college football fix, you had breaking news just a moment ago. Yeah, another LSU opt-out. So, as Haydad pointed out earlier, still a talented team, and he said on Twitter they're starting to bleed. Starting defensive tackle Tyler Shelvin has informed the coaching staff that he will not be participating this season. That's the third projected starting defensive lineman that has opted out for LSU this season. So not third starting defensive lineman from last year's team gone. As I understand it, third projected starter, according to some. 
39 tackles, three tackles for loss, a couple of pass breakups. I guess that would be balls that were batted down at the line of scrimmage for uh, for Shelvin. Yeah, he was expected to be the nose tackle, kind of in the middle of that defensive line. At least that's how Phil Steele had him projected going into this season. I like that you had that right there, ready to roll. That's a good call. You like it? Yeah, but smart, smart business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you got uh, you got that on the college football front. Also, uh, this Tommy Tuberville in the news. Not really for anything football related, at least not recently. He is the uh, presumed winner for the Senate seat in the state of Alabama after winning the Republican primary. Claims not to remember a comment about a pine box. Hmm. How about this headline from AL.com? What's buried in Tommy Tuberville's pine box? Do you like that? <laughs> yes. Uh, is anybody more despised by State, Ole Miss, Alabama, and Auburn as Tommy Tuberville? He covers all the bases. Listen to this. Okay, so it is an opinion column written by Kyle Whitmire at AL.com. He says, when Tommy Tuberville left his coaching position at Ole Miss, he played that coy game coaches do when looking for another job. His loyalties were to the team that he had, he said, not some other place like, say, Auburn. That might be wooing him with better offers. To be fair, Tuberville, uh, to be fair to Tuberville, this dance is not unusual. Nick Saban has done the same thing more than once. But Tuberville was particularly adamant in his denials, and it left a lot of Ole Miss fans sore, as Mississippi Today sports columnist Rick Cleveland recounted recently. According to Cleveland, Tuberville looked him and other sports reporters in the eye and gave them a quote for the ages. Quote, They'll have to carry me out of here in a pine box. Close quote. Two days later, Tuberville was on a plane to Auburn. But the pine box quote has followed him for years, especially when he's been on the verge of other career changes. Lots of people remember it. Lots of people except Tuberville. Sometimes. He says, for instance, Tuberville couldn't remember any of this when he was under oath giving sworn testimony in a securities fraud lawsuit brought against him by investors who said they'd been ripped off by his hedge fund, TS Capital Partners. Um, hey. The quote attributed to you is, by the way, there was a settlement in that case. And he sat for a deposition in which a plaintiff's lawyer tried to get his memory to test his memory and his honesty. He said the quote this this lawyer said the quote attributed to you is they will have to carry me out of here in a pine box in reference to not leaving Ole Miss to coach another school. Did you make that statement or something <laughs> to that effect? And Tuberville's answer was I can't remember that. <laughs> The lawyer continued, do you feel you were honest about your stated intentions to remain with Ole Miss toward the end of 1998? Tuberville said, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was somebody on the text line a few weeks ago when he won the, uh, I guess, the runoff to get the, nom- the Republican nomination. They were like, he's going to win because we're tired of moral decay in this country. And I was just like, 
See, so, so you pick Tommy Tuberville to lead that. Tommy Tuberville is against moral decay. All of a sudden, I had no idea. <laughs> That's the guy you pick. I'm also going to be leading the nation's charge against obesity. And so, in this particular column, the writer points out that Tuberville later did a different interview with Mark Heim on the radio where he explains the Pine Box story in great detail. He says, we were getting close to the end of the season, my fourth year. People are calling my agent, Jimmy Sexton. I had three real good offers. The athletic director comes to me on Tuesday night. We're playing Jackie Sherrill in Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl on Thursday. I had my radio show the night before. We're planning on staying. Finally, I just got tired of answering questions about leaving. I said, listen, they're going to have to carry me out of here to Pine Box. I love this place. And the writer points out that in an interview that didn't have legal or financial consequences, Tuberville seems pretty sharp, but in a deposition in which he has to avoid implicating himself in securities fraud, things got all fuzzy. (laughs) He points this out. He says, whether it's his memory or his honesty, that's the problem. It matters. It matters because he's running for the United States Senate. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Tubbs. Uh. He's the gift that keeps on giving. He says perhaps lawyers should have asked him on a radio show instead, but it's too late now because as Tuberville has shown, you shouldn't expect an honest answer when he's on the hunt for another job. He buried the truth in that pine box. <laughs> ah, it's so satisfying. It's like cracking open a beer. Clearly, this is a, an opinion column from somebody that doesn't necessarily want to see Tommy Tuberville as the senator from the state of Alabama. It's probably a waste of space in terms of whether or not was, Tommy Tuberville written, is going to achieve that particular goal. It was written by Jackie Sherrill. <laughs> I just, for one, find it really hard to believe that the guy that got up and left in the middle of a dinner with a recruit and his family to never return because he took a new job is not an honest guy. That was guy. Texas Tech to Cincinnati, right? Yeah. I'm just really surprised that's not an honest guy. <laughs> that's right. He got up in the middle of dinner. In the middle of dinner and never came back. Well, look, I mean, it was just a business decision. It's like Dad and going maybe out he for cigarettes and look, never coming back. If there are, maybe there's some memory issues, and maybe he forgot that he was having dinner with a recruit. (laughs) Uh, He and Urban Meyer taking that same medication. Tommy Tuberville at one point, and I'm sure he evolved some along the way, at one point might have been the most media-friendly coach in all of college football. Man, he got it. You know those the, the the coaches' radio shows they do that are generally speaking kind of boring. Yeah, but but everybody does them because everybody does them. When Tommy Tuberville was doing his radio show at Ole Miss, so you're you're talking ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight that era, or maybe ninety four to ninety seven. Get off of my years, man. That was an event. They had it at what at the time was the downtown grill on the square in Oxford, and you couldn't fit another person in there with a shoehorn. And folks would come at like 3 in the afternoon and like grab their tables to sit up front and start having cocktails. And he was like a rock star when he came in there. It was fun and entertaining. Ed Ogeron's radio show, less such. I almost thought I was going to break up a fight one night between Ed Ogeron and a fan. I mean, if looks could kill, if looks could kill, 
Sports Talk Mississippi. That's your college football fix. We'll be right back. We are nothing if not a platform that gives equal time. Sometimes. An example, last week, we talked about Eli Manning's house in suburban New Jersey. A beautiful house with a really nice golf simulator that Michael Borky thought was incredibly out of place and was just plain not impressive. Hey, Dad and I, for what it's worth, disagreed with that assessment. And so if we're going to talk about former Ole Miss quarterbacks, uh, house, toys, we should do the same thing for a former Mississippi State quarterback, Dak Prescott. Pictures have surfaced of his home in Texas. Hey, Dad, we mentioned last week that uh, he had installed a football field, a 55-yard football field. Well, not quite regulation size, 10-yard end zone. But hey, he's got half a field, plenty of room to work. Yeah. In the end zone, the uh, the word faith and the A is made into a silhouette of him pointing toward the sky, toward his late mother. And D4K is like the big logo. Obviously, play on Dak and the number four. But we've got additional pictures. It's uh, kind of a Spanish-style house in what appears to be a really nice neighborhood in the Metroplex. He has a set for Narcos. I mean, that's what that looks like. It's not bad, is it? Yeah. So looking at the aerial backyard picture, he has um, has a big custom gunite pool. It's got a swim-up bar with a bar top in it in the pool. There is a, uh, a fireplace, like big outdoor fireplace off to the side of some stairs leading down to the backyard and off to the practice field. On the opposite side, there's a, a fire pit with kind of built-in seating for there. Looks like there's an outdoor kitchen and plenty of outdoor seating area. Uh, his teammate C.D. Lamb says there's a golf hole back there if you want to practice shots. And then, Borky, you've got the indoor pictures of the Bar, billiard room, and golf simulator. Looks like he's got Papa Shot over in the corner. Yeah. Uh, there's a Barry Sanders jersey on the wall, a Wayne Gretzky jersey on the wall, uh, Michael Jordan jersey, it appears, on the wall. That's Rodman. That's Is that Rodman? Way. 90, it's 91. Uh, that's right. I'm no. sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's Rodman, and then it's got MJ with the, the arms stretched out above it, holding yeah. the basketball. The wings picture. Got a big Rangers logo up above the uh, double doorway coming into the man cave. And the floor is a wood floor. It's got, like, basketball court stuff on it. Borky, is this more in line of what you think a multimillionaire's man room should look like? This is all I'm going to ask. If you time, out, this- time out. One more thing to point out. Instead of, like, a traditional chandelier or light fixture... He's got what is made to look like a four-sided hanging video board like you would see in the middle of an arena with TVs on each of the four sides. That's pretty cool. It's a jumbotron. (laughs) Jeez. All right, Borky, sorry. uh, You were saying. All I'm going to say is, if you had the choice between Eli Manning's golf simulator room and Dak Prescott's golf simulator room, which one would you choose? 
Dax is nicer. It's way better. I mean, not even close. This is what I was talking about. If you're going to have your man space, make it your man space. He's got a bar with a bunch of probably really expensive liquor bottles above it. He's got the papa shot. He's got a pool table. He's got TVs, jerseys hanging up on the wall. This is a space for a man. Eli's was a space that he's using for a man that his wife designed. There's your difference. Uh, I'm going to slightly disagree only based on the wording that you went with. I would say the golf simulator room itself, I picked the one that Eli had. It was a nicer finish, but the man cave in its entirety, no question. That's all I have to go away. No, this is Dak's you, house you before said, he... You, you said golf simulator only. Yeah, I said the this room is house, in which uh, it is located. Talk about splitting hairs over here. This is Dak's house before a big contract, too. This is He's also like this. Dak's house yeah, the... before getting married. Yes, that's a picture of his girlfriend up top on this uh, article here. It, He's doing all right. The thing is, good for himself. there are people that can buy a home and have a space for themselves still. Like It's not like getting married makes him get rid of this basement when he's going to be a franchise quarterback. He's just made a different choice than Eli, and that's okay, but if you're going to have this space, this one's better. Again, as I was saying, the overall like man cave boy playroom area, sure. That gets it. Multiple TVs, pop a shot, way underrated. Pool table, the golf simulator, going out to the pool, the whole deal, absolutely. Can't figure out what the like stuff around the edge of the screen for the golf simulator is, though. Anyway, whatever. It's pretty it's, darn cool. He's got like a virtual leaderboard up there and keep up with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. What if you could like Double that into like a bocce ball court also. <laughs> I love bocce ball. I shouldn't laugh. It's kind of fun. Oh, it's it's great. When you it's have Italian cousins, you play a lot of bocce ball. Did you guys also uh, do uh, croquet? Never did croquet. No. Jace follows up. C Spire text line. And there's a lot of this, by the way. Eli is married. Dak is single. That's the difference. Another message. Of course, Dak is single, right? There used to be a show, I think it was called Man Caves or something, but there were a lot of married dudes on that show getting their own space for themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um, the big offensive lineman. Uh, Saragusa. Tony Saragusa was the host of the show. Yeah, it was called Man Caves. So, yeah. But no, I do think the um, the difference is married versus not married. I really do. Borky disagrees with that. Well, I just if I ever get a house like this, which I'm in radio, so that's not happening. But if I won the lottery and and got a house where I could have this space, I am one thousand percent confident I would be allowed to do with it what I please, as long as I am willing to give her a space that she can do whatever she wants with. We've already got that's that called, in our house, and it's a tiny It's called the house. rest of the house. Well, that's fine with me. Hey, I, do with the rest of the place what you please, but if you're giving me my space, it is my space. And she's cool with that. 
I've already done it at home. It's much smaller than this. Like, my office is half the size of just the golf simulator in Dak's house, but yeah, I've already got it. The picture of Dak on this article, I'm looking at Outkick, the coverage's website. He's wearing a, a t-shirt, right? It says Balmain Paris. I did this with Jeff Simmons when he came to a, a game. I just I know those names enough to know that. How much do you think that t-shirt, which is a blue t-shirt that says Balmain Paris with white letters, costs? That's all it is. It's just a t-shirt. How much do you think it costs? $1,500. Well, it's not that bad, though. No. But it's three hundred and fifty bucks. That's the the supreme stuff that you see—just white T-shirts with a red rectangle and the word "supreme" written inside. Uh-huh. They sell some of that stuff for over a thousand dollars. Jeff Simmons came wearing a, 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 a hoodie. It's it Burberry on there, and I looked it up. It was like a six hundred dollars. Oh. <laughs> it's a black hoodie, white lettering that said Burberry. I was like, jeez. Uh, somebody asks on the C Spire text line, how many championships are there in Dax Man Cave? Uh, Dave well, in the Delta. Gretzky jersey, so... I'll tell you what, it, there's at least they, one if that girlfriend's staying there. Dave is... You, you're trying too hard, man. You said Richard calls Eli's a man cave, which I didn't. He calls Dax a boy's playroom. Mm. Oh, come on. Come on, man. You're trying way too hard, Dave. Way too hard. If you don't have a, uh, if you're not feeling the lightheartedness of this conversation and you're looking for reasons to pick nits, um, come on. In fairness, Eli's is more classy and adult, if you will. But Dax is more fun. I'd agree with that. I would agree with that. And look, we were talking the and other we, day. We, about we're only you, seeing you, three rooms here. I, I haven't. I mean, we don't know what the the kitchen looks like and all that. It could be very domesticated. Full on narcos, you said. I'd rather have the fun, but <laughs> I would too. But still, <sighs> Dax is. I mean, is Dax is Dax the the country's most eligible bachelor? Single guy who's the quarterback of the I'm, Dallas Cowboys. I'm not Cowboys. so sure he's single. Well, I mean, I'm just saying. No, no there's a married and single. Or it doesn't matter if you're dating. Single is you're not married. Is there anybody? I mean, he's the quarterback. The quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Good looking guy. Good kid. What's not to like? Sports talk. Mississippi His record against you. teams with winning records. Stop. Mm. That's something. Sports not Illustrated. To like. Sports Illustrated explore the idea of what would it take to get a game postponed. Maybe we've got an answer from the Big 12. Vice President Mike Pence held his weekly governor's call today, and some reporters have obtained audio of the call. And Some of the highlights include um, some clarification on how a vaccine will be distributed when it's ready. And they pointed out that a vaccine will either get independent outright approval or emergency use authorization. They talked about the antigen test, which popped into the news last week from Abbott Labs. By the way, that stock soared last week. The government has contracted $150 million of those Abbott Labs tests, which are dramatically simpler and less expensive and provide results in 15 minutes, saying that those will be deployed where they're most needed strategically. 
And when pressed on the timeline, Health and Homeland, uh, I'm sorry, Health and Human Services Secretary Azar, not Steve Azar, different Azar, (laughs) said that they expect by late October, early November to be at the 30 to 40 million per month production level. And then when they are completely rolling, they'll max out at 48 million of those tests available per month. And one other thing that stood out, uh, Dr. Deborah Burks, who joined the call from Wisconsin, was promoting the fact that there had been a national decline in positivity rate around 35%, with a 20% decrease in mortality rates. So there's a lot of good that came from that governor's call earlier today. Now, I didn't give you that just to pass along news. Let's see if we can make that dovetail with this story from Sports Illustrated. What would it take to get a game postponed? We've heard a lot of ambiguous answers. Well, we don't know if there's a specific number and blah. You know, we, We've heard that from ADs and conference commissioners. Nobody has to this point been willing to tie themselves to a specific number. But it looks like now that the college football season is beginning, this Thursday night at the FBS level, last week at the FCS level, there are some guidelines that, Borky, you say the Big 12 has now formally adopted? Yeah, these are what the guidelines are going to use for postponement. Um, a few examples of already some, some changes to the schedule. You know you've got a couple of games coming up on Thursday night. ULM has postponed their opener, UL Monroe. After nine new positive cases, they've moved its season opener against Troy to December. NC State and East Carolina from the ACC and American, respectively, had games against Virginia Tech and Marshall. They've pushed those back because of recent relative outbreaks. Auburn missed multiple days of practice last week for COVID-19-related issues. Tennessee took a day off. For a few positive tests, LSU and Oklahoma had significant losses at position groups because of quarantine protocols. OU was down to one player at an unnamed position group, and LSU practiced last week with just four offensive linemen. So that's some of what's happening out there, but Bob Bowlesby of the Big 12 says it's an ongoing conversation. It's got a lot of moving parts. Big 12 was in the final stages of finalizing, and um, apparently, according to Borky just a second ago, and some reporting that's out there, it's done. And the SEC is exploring a similar policy. Here it is. A team must have at least 53 total players available with a minimum at each position. The positional standards may include such requirements as one quarterback, six offensive linemen, six defensive linemen, two or three receivers, and so on. Decision makers have settled on 53 as the roster number based on data that the average college football team uses between 45 and 65 players per game. 
And one of the debates that administrators seem to be arguing about, and I don't know, Borky, that we've got a clear answer to this, is whether or not that number includes walk-ons. I've not seen a clarity on that yet. Okay. Teams get 85 scholarship players, though many programs don't always fill that allotment, and they can have as many as 35 walk-ons in some places. Shane Lyons is the West Virginia athletic director, and he thinks that walk-ons should be included in the calculation of available players. He said some of our walk-ons, they can play. They're on your roster and they're practicing. They're part of your depth chart. We're just trying to get through the season. Yes, somebody may not be putting the best 53 on the field. There are questions about what do you do about injuries, especially injuries in-game. And the question is whether or not you could potentially suspend a game partially through it. Steve Lyons wondered out loud, what if... A team's only quarterback is knocked out in the second quarter. What if two of the six offensive linemen suffer in-game injuries? You don't want someone's tight end playing quarterback. What happens if that happens without COVID? I mean, Kentucky had to Mark play Stoops a wide says, receiver. Toughen up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture Mike Leach having to say, tell Kylan Hill, "Okay, you're the quarterback now, and I somehow have to call 50 running plays a game." <laughs> hey dad we have talked about this ad nauseum yeah you fit to mike leach's system he doesn't fit to your system kylan hill if you got to play quarterback He's you're about to sling it bud you're about to sling it leach just calls a timeout who played quarterback and i marcus murphy might be the best answer in there perhaps quarterback at west point state championship that would be hilarious. I mean, it'd be bad, obviously, if, if that many quarterbacks were sick or injured, but it'd be sort of funny, too. <laughs> I mean, you could be digging deep in some of these cases. Yeah. This is positive, though, right? I mean, we, we've got a tangible number, and it's not it's not an unattainable number. I mean, this is a number that says you're potentially going to have some positives. And... This is a year that's unlike any other, and we're trying to get through the season. And if you got to play with 57 this week, well, Ole Miss did it a couple of years ago when they weren't even on probation. The results weren't great, but they played, and they finished the game. Do you think Deal it's just it. a complete coincidence that 53 is the same number as an NFL roster size? Oh... Uh... Because they don't use that many on game day, but I saw a lot of people drawing the you know, professional comparisons earlier. But it's 46 on game day for the NFL, but the roster is 53. Do you think they use that as kind of a guide? As, hey, look, the NFL can play with 53 guys. We can play with 53 guys, too. I mean, maybe. I mean, if if the average nationally, like this story said, is between 45 and 65, it seems like 55 would have been dead in the middle, and you might have gone with that number. But maybe maybe it was like, I mean, 55 is the answer. Somebody's like, well, we really don't want to hamstring ourselves in. And maybe somebody else in the room said, well, you know, NFL plays with 53. They make it work. Yeah. So maybe that's the way to go. The idea of going into a game with one quarterback is is crazy, though. I mean, yeah. you may only have one of your scholarship quarterbacks in this situation available, but it's not like you don't go into the game with an emergency quarterback. 
Hey, Dad, you were joking about that a second ago. Leach calls timeout and says, hey, who played quarterback in high school? You're going to know before the game starts. If yeah. you've only got one scholarship quarterback available, you're the not taking a timeout is... to say, you know, who had 12 pass attempts in high school. Yeah, for MSU, like the biggest thing I would see is State probably wants to dress 8 to 10 wide receivers. In a situation like this, they might only be able to dress 5 or 6 so they can have some extra linemen somewhere from, from the walk-on pool or whatever. You know, you just some places where you'd like to have extra depth just to have it, you, you're going to have to you know, cut away where you need it. And I think it's reasonable if you don't have 53 players, scholarship or otherwise, available, then you probably can't play. That, that's, yeah. I think that's fair. But that's why you have that extra week at the end of the season. That's right. To, to make these, this is it's been accounted for. Is there a nefarious coach out there who, if they've got a big game coming up, and they've got fifty-six players that could play, but ten of those are walk-ons, and they know it gives them zero chance to win? Yes, they, they report three additional COVID positives yep. or whatever. Although, they although with independent testing, well, they, they report something else. They report injuries then. Yeah, Get a couple upper bodies and a lower body. We're no good. Couple of, yeah. Some seven's got an arm, twelve's got a leg, and thirteen's got an ankle. We can't play. I mean, am I crazy to think that that is a possibility? No, you're. This is college football, man. Yeah. Borrow and steal. Yes, sir. Alabama has a breakout the week before they play LSU. <laughs> Just saying. We got 55 here, but you know, if we only had 52, we could reschedule this in a couple of weeks. Saban turf monster got some. We got a turf toe. Saban got two high ankle sprains. Just right in the knee. Sports Talk Mississippi will be. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.